Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. So good to see all of you this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Peter. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 8 through 13 here in just um, a bit. You know, with everything that's going on in Israel, all eyes are focused in on the Middle East, and no matter what someone's religion or irreligion might be, there is a consensus that whatever happens to that small strip of land called Israel, it has global implications. Now, those of us who hold to a biblical Christianity, I mean, we're no different because, you know, we look at Israel with a more keen interest as Israel has a prominent part in our history. It is Israel through whom the Savior, the living hope of the world, was born. If there was no Israel, there'd be no Jesus. If there was no Jesus, we're still in our sins and we're all in a heap of trouble. But God did call to himself a people through Abraham and then through the lineage of King David, God the Son took on human flesh and dwelt among us. He died for our sins. He rose again. He now rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. But now quite often, you know, if anything happens in Israel, a lot of times our minds turn to end time events. Now, all biblical Christians know that at some point, Jesus Christ is returning, amen? He is returning physically, he is returning visibly, but you know, there's a lot of things amongst Christians, there's disagreement about, well, okay, the, exactly the when or the how or what's happening, you know, but, but before that, and so, you know, I always warn people to use caution in trying to read any world event as a sign of the end times because as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we exercise some caution. I believe that you, take, you, you be very cautious taking world events and then trying to fit them in, into the Bible. Rather, you know, I think we, we take the Bible and let the Bible speak into the world and let the Bible determine what, what, what is going uh, on. Now, yeah, you know, when we talk about end times, there might not be some, there might not be a unanimous decision among Christian scholars and pastors and and lay people about certain views about things like the millennium and, and, okay, how do you read the book of Revelation and things like that. But there are other parts of Scripture, even though, you know, that's, Revelation is probably the most famous part, that and Daniel, but there are other parts of Scripture where we know they're talking about the final day, where it gives some clarity in in those parts. Now, there's not one single passage of Scripture that gives us every single detail about what's going to happen on the last day. I mean, much to our chagrin, there isn't, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't tell someone, okay, just write this clearly. This is what's happening at the end days. That, That didn't happen, but what God did inspire, what God did give us about the last day is there to encourage us and to move us in how we ought to live while we're on our pilgrimage here on earth. And and so, you know, when we think of the last day, the final day, we think of John, we may think of some 
uh, writings of Paul, but Peter actually gives us some insight into Christ's return as well. And as I read verses 8 through 13, what I want us to get from this passage is that, is that the biblical teaching about Christ's return in the final day, it should serve as a source of hope. But it also, also should serve as a challenge about how we live our lives in light of the end day, the final day coming, and coming soon, we pray. So I want to read verses 8 through 13 of Second Peter, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these verses. And Peter was inspired to write this. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice, that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years are like a single day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promises, some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, the heaven, heavens will disappear with a horrific noise, and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze, and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must you be conducting your lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God? Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolve, and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we are waiting, and we just pray, Lord, that uh, what it is that you have made clear to us, that that brings us great hope, great challenge, Lord, that it motivates us in many different ways to live for you and to point us to Christ. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I want to give some context to what Peter is uh, writing here. Um, because Peter, both in his first epistle and here, he, he's, he's writing to Christians who are kind of spread out. He, they're spread abroad. And he tries to touch on several topics of importance for them to live faithfully during their pilgrimage, during their temporary stay uh, on earth, um, knowing that time is short, how, how ought you to live? How do you live in light of, of that? Now, in, in the verses that are just prior to what uh, we read this morning, uh, Peter warns that there are going to be false teachers that come along who are going to try and discourage the church by telling the church, or by at least implying, that if Christ hasn't returned yet, he's not going to return at all. So where's this Christ you've been talking about? You're saying he's been coming. Where is he at? And so the false teachers are, are, and people are either going to try and discourage Christians and, you know, by saying, you know, yeah, he's not really coming. And so, so Peter, through the passage that we did read, he wants to set the record straight, explaining the truths of the final day at Christ's return. Now, while there is a lot we might not know about the final day, we do know some things for certain and these truths ought to give us hope. And you know, whenever an unbeliever tries to discourage us or a false teacher tries to discourage us, 
You know, we say, no, we know Christ is returning, but it also should challenge the way we act because we are constantly reminded that we are to be ready at all times. So what I wanna do with the passage that we read this morning, a little, something a little bit different, is I wanna ask three questions of the passage. And so by answering those questions, you know, hopefully we gain a, a deeper understanding of what uh, Peter is saying uh, here about the final day, about giving us hope and challenging us for Christ's return. So let's ask three questions of the passage. The first question that I wanna ask, and it might be a question on a lot of people's minds, why has God waited so long? You know, when you, when, when you read the scriptures, there really is this sense in the early church that they really believed Christ was gonna come in their lifetime. The early church really thought that Christ was coming in their lifetime. They, they thought after the, the resurrection and his ascension, it wasn't gonna to be too terribly long after that that Christ um, would return and from Peter's perspective, as he's writing this, I mean, it's already been several years, and so this made the church a little bit vulnerable to these false teachers who would question, you know, Christ's return. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, so what in the world makes you think it's going to happen at all? So now, here we are 2,000 years later, and the church is still waiting. So how do we handle this? Why has God waited so long? Well, well, how does Peter explain the fact that God has waited? Well, first, he tells us that God relates differently to time than we do. I mean, God relates differently to time than we do. Because you read scripture and you see things like in Philippians 4, 5, where Paul says the Lord is near. Or even when you read the book of Revelation and, and toward the end in Revelation 22, 12, Jesus said he's coming soon. And 2,000 years later, still no Christ. Now, for us, that does not seem near, that does not seem soon. So how can we harmonize the idea of Christ's return as being near or soon, and you know, all this time has passed by us? Well, Peter gives us an answer in that God relates to time differently than his creation. So in verse eight of our passage, he quotes Psalm 90 verse four. He reminds the people that God doesn't deal with time like we do. He, he uses the analogy that a thousand years is like a day for God, a day is like a thousand years. And, and it, it's an analogy, it's not literal. You know, 1,000 years is not literally like one day to God. I mean, some people have tried to do that. You know, they, they talk about the six days of creation and say, well, that's six times a thousand, that's 6,000 years, the earth will be here. No, that, it, it's, an, it's an analogy. The, the biblical writers are saying that God relates to time differently than we do. His, so if he relates differently to time than we do, his concept of near and soon is a whole lot different than our concept of, of near and soon. So we have to think about near and soon as God thinks about near and soon. And for us, it's not soon enough, but you know what? God relates differently to time because God is eternal. God is eternal, that means that God is outside of space and time. God is not trapped in time like we are. And it's very hard for our finite minds to grasp this, but God looks at his creation, time and everything in it. He looks at it from the outside because when God created the universe, he created time along with the universe. And so when, when God says or inspires the writers to say near and soon, he means near and soon 
from his perspective, in the perspective of eternity. Christ's return and the final day is going to be near and soon. I mean, think about eternity. I mean, eternity is forever. So, you know, a billion years from now, in eternity, 2,000 years, well, you know, from that perspective, that's not that too terribly long. Now, you know, so for, for God in eternity, 2,000 years so far, and who knows how much longer it'll go, that's near, that's soon. For us stuck in time, not so much. But the biblical writers are saying, consider the point of view of God who's inspiring these things. Consider the point of view from which these things are written. You know, in the, it's been a long time since I've used the Star Wars analogy or example, so I'll use, use Star Wars. In, in Star Wars, in the first Star Wars, Ben Kenobi tells Luke Skywalker that Darth Vader killed his father. Then, in later movies, it's revealed that Darth Vader actually is Luke's father. And so Luke confronts the force ghost of Ben Kenobi and, say, and says, what's up with that? You said that Darth Vader killed my father. And Ben says, well, from a certain point of view, that's what happened. Darth Vader killed Anakin Skywalker because the Vader persona completely consumed him and choked out the Anakin persona. So it all depends on your point of view. Well, from God's certain point of view, Christ's return is soon. In the light of eternity, Christ's return is soon. And so we don't give in to the doubt of the teachers who try and plant this doubt into our minds. Well, I mean, it's been 2,000 years. I don't think Christ is coming back. Oh, yeah, he is. We know that Christ is going to come back when God says it's the right time. And in light of eternity, it's near. It's soon. It's all according to his plan, his purposes, and his point of view. And so that's one answer that Peter kind of gives to, to this question about why in the world has God waited so long? But there is another answer to the question of why God has waited so long. And the second question is just that God is patiently waiting. And so when I say God is patiently waiting, what is he waiting for? Well, in verse 9 of what we read, Peter says that God is not slow in fulfilling the promise of, of Christ's return, again, from the human perspective of slowness. And he says the reason God is waiting to send Christ back is because he is patiently waiting for people to repent, right? He, he, he does not want any to perish, but he is waiting for people to repent. Because here's the thing, once Christ returns, that's it. It's over. There's not going to be any longer a chance for people to repent. There isn't going to be a chance for people to return to come to Christ. They're going to face judgment and they're going to receive the punishment for their sins. And so the reason God is waiting to send Christ back, it actually is a great mercy because he's waiting for the unbeliever to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's waiting on the unbeliever to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's waiting for people to hear the gospel message and to respond to the gospel message. The message that Jesus is God the Son who took on humanity, who fulfilled the law that humanity broke, who died as our substitute, paying the punishment for our sins, who rose again, defeating sin and death. And any who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. 
Any who believe that Jesus died for them and rose again for them, they are granted eternal life. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can receive eternal life from God through Jesus Christ. And God in his mercy and his grace is granting people time to come to faith. He's granting people time to come. He's waiting on them to come. It doesn't matter if you were a serial killer or it doesn't matter if you are the model citizen, everyone is a sinner who needs the gift of salvation and God is mercifully waiting for you to come to faith. He's waiting to send the Son to bring an end to history as we know it so more people will come to him, so that you will come to him. God is waiting on you. I think of the days of, of Noah. You know, when it says that the intents of men's hearts were nothing but evil continually. God told Noah to build the ark to save a remnant from the judgment that he was bringing. Now, if I'm reading scripture correctly, God gave Noah 120 years to build it, and during that time, Noah pleaded with others to join them in the ark to escape the judgment, but all they did was mock him. But once the door was shut on the ark and the rain came, that was it. Their chance for repentance was over. And we should not get mad at God that he judged people. We shouldn't get mad at God that he judged people. We should be amazed that God saved anyone at all. Because even in Noah and his family, the intent of their heart was nothing but evil continually, even though, you know, God gave Noah grace. And that's all it is, is grace. I mean, that's how great our God is. He wants people to come to him he wants people to repent, and God is waiting to send Christ so that people have a chance to hear the gospel and believe, and this is why God has waited for so long. Why in the world is God waiting so long? Well, his concept of time is different, and he's waiting for people to repent. But then that leads us to the next question. The second question that I want to put to this passage is what do we know about the final day? What does this passage tell us about the final day? I mean, okay, so you look at the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of speculation about that. And some other passages, but what does Peter say? What does Peter say about the final day? Well, first he tells us it is certain, but it will be sudden. It is certain, but it will be sudden. In verses nine and 13, Peter says that it is a promise. This is the promise of God, Christ will return. I will send my son back to get his church and to judge the world. And then in verse 10, it says, well, when it, the final day comes, not if it comes, but when it comes. So from Peter's perspective, the return of Christ is certain. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a done deal. When God makes a promise, he fulfills his promise. He never backs out of a promise. God is going to fulfill his word. And so Christ's return is as certain as all the rest of Scripture. This is what God has said. And this is a, a source of hope and joy for us. Yeah, I mean, God's timing might not be our timing. It rarely ever is. But it is certain God will send his son to get his bride and to judge 
the world, and it's gonna happen at the perfect time, whatever that is according to God. So it is certain, it is gonna happen. Christ is returning, no doubt about it. But Peter also tells us that it's gonna be sudden. He says in verse 10 that it's gonna come like a, a thief. I mean, when a thief is gonna break into someone's house, he doesn't advertise it. He doesn't send you a letter a week beforehand saying, by the way, on Tuesday night, on November whatever, I'm gonna be breaking into your house just to let you know. He doesn't advertise the fact he's gonna be breaking into a house. Because if he does, he'll be met with some resistance, right? When a thief is gonna break in, he comes at a time when the homeowner isn't aware. He comes in the dark, he comes late at night, you know, when the homeowner is sleeping or whatever. He goes about things very stealthily. From the homeowner's perspective, everything was going on, everything was all right, boom, all of a sudden there's this thief in the house, came without warning. The return of Christ on the final day is gonna be like that. Life is happening and then all of a sudden, here's Christ. Christ is returning. And I believe that the testimony of scripture, including our passage, teaches what is called the imminence of Christ's return. And what that word imminent means is that it could happen at any moment. There is nothing happening, Christ, from returning at any moment. There's nothing happening right now. There's nothing, we're not waiting on anything in the future for Christ to return. I mean, Christ could return before this sermon is done. And most of you are hoping for that, maybe. But he could, he could come right now. There's nothing holding him back. Jesus told us in Mark 13, verses 32 and 33, for as, as for the day or hour, no one knows it. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. So what does he tell us to do? Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when that time will come. You don't know, you don't know when it's gonna come. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, for just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the, the flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and took them all away. It will be the same at the coming of the Son of Man. Life is going on, life is going on, everything's going on as normal. Christ returns. Life is going to be happening just like it always does and then all of a sudden Christ is here. We're not waiting on things to happen. It is imminent. Nothing is stopping him from coming right now. And so when Christ returns like a thief, what is gonna happen after that? What is, you know, Peter gives us an answer about what's gonna happen to the universe in the final day when Christ returns. And so what he says, the second answer to our question about what do we know about the final day is that it's gonna be a time when it's gonna be out with the old and in with the new. So the second answer to the question, what do we know about the final day? It's gonna be out with the old, in with the new. Because Peter uses a lot of language here about the heavens and the earth being burned up. And when he talks about heavens, he's talking about the universe, you know, the place where the stars and planets and all that are, are located. You know, because in our passage, it says things like, the heavens are gonna disappear with a, a horrific noise or a roar as some translations say. It says that the celestial bodies or the elements are gonna melt away in a blaze. The heavens are gonna be burned up and dissolved and you know, our passage says things like that. Things are gonna get, you know, 
fire is coming. Um, and even right before our passage in verse 7 of 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, you know, there's a debate among scholars if the fire is a refining fire, like it's coming and it's going to purify everything, or is it like a fire of destruction, just boom, you know, everything, everything goes. But I, I don't think it matters either way. Because what it's saying is the universe as we know it is not going to exist. Because the old, this old universe is all about death and decay and destruction and things like that. It's a world of pain and suffering and tears. But that's not going to go on forever. We, I mean, we know in our hearts we want something different. We want it to change. And even Paul, Paul says that creation itself is crying out for this change. In Romans 8, verses 20 through 22, he says, I mean, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of who subjected it, but in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. I mean, all of creation knows that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. That things aren't the way that they were originally in, intended. All of creation is waiting for the current existence to go away and, and something new come. And what's so funny is that science itself demonstrates this is a universe of death and decay. And so many scientists just let it go right over their head. They don't think through the implications of what they're finding in the science. I mean, I'm not a physicist. I don't even play one on TV. But I do know this. The law of thermodynamics tell us that the universe is moving toward entropy, meaning it is declining, it is degrading. If the universe was just left to itself, it would eventually just kind of peter out or just go and disappear. But before that happens, Christ is going to return. And he's going to get rid of the old universe. And it says in verse 13, we are waiting on a new heaven and a new earth that is going to last for eternity. That means the new universe is we're going to have new bodies and a whole new science is going to be at play. Physics as it's known is going to be turned on its head. And Peter says that righteousness is going to reside there, meaning everything is going to be right. Everything in, in God's sense of right. What God says is right. How God originally created things, every, righteousness is going to come. I mean, this is in line with, with what John describes in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, when he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist and the sea existed no more, which sounds strange, but we think, we think that means that, you know, it's not going to be the chaotic, you know, the chaos water in the beginning, things like that. It's, there's not going to be chaos anymore. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
The residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain. None of that's gonna exist for the former things have ceased to exist and we all say amen to that. The old universe, our old bodies, are not gonna be anymore, all things have become new. That's what's gonna happen on the final day. But knowing what's gonna happen, we have to ask the last question, and we're gonna answer this very quickly. The last question is, okay, in light of all of this, how should we respond to these truths? How do we respond to knowing what we know um, about the final day? I mean, we have these truths, what do we do with them? Well, first, Peter tells us, be prepared, be prepared for Christ's return with a holy life. Be prepared with a holy life. Peter asks in verse 11, since all these things are gonna melt away, what sort of people should we be? And he gives the answer. We are to be people who conduct our lives in holiness and godliness. We are to be people who live out their days as pilgrims on this earth some, as someone who has been made new in, in Jesus Christ. We are not to be people who live for fleshly desires. We are not to be people who invest all of our time and energy to gain the pleasures of the world. I mean, think about this. You, you gotta ask yourself this question. If the flesh as we know it is gonna be gone and the world as we know it is gonna be gone, it's gonna be burned up one day, why would we invest so much time and money and energy and resources into something that we know is gonna be destroyed? Wouldn't it be better to invest our lives in something that will last for eternity? I mean, to me, that, that kind of makes sense. Why would, why would we, I mean, yeah, we have to live in the world, we're still pilgrims on this earth, but why spend so much time investing in that and not investing in eternity. Again, where your treasure is there, your heart's gonna be. And so you be ready. Be ready at all times. It's gonna come suddenly. And so be ready with a holy life. I mean, this is the warning that Jesus gave over and over again. You know, we find it especially, say, in Matthew 24 and, and 25, because he gave parable after parable about be ready. Be ready, be ready because I'm coming on a day you don't think it's happening. And honestly, Peter, use, I believe, uses language that he heard from Christ to write what he wrote, uh, because Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. He said, therefore, stay alert, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, that the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been alert, it would not have led his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You know, if the homeowner knew when the thief was coming, yeah, he would have been ready. The problem is the homeowner doesn't know when the thief is coming. So that means he needs to be ready all the time. We don't know when Christ is coming. What does that mean? That means we gotta be ready all the time. We gotta be ready with a, a holy life. We ready ourselves for Christ's coming with a holy and godly life. And then there's a second response I'll quickly give, is that let's just pray for that day to come quickly. 
Just pray for that day to come quickly. Peter says in verse 12 that you live holy and godly while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So scholars debate about what in the world does that mean, hastening the day? I mean, is there a way for us to make it happen quicker? I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I do know this. I think a good response would be, well, pray. Pray that before Christ comes, that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that so many more people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So many more people would enter into the kingdom before Christ comes. We pray for that, but I also think that it's right and good to pray that the day of the Lord's return would come quickly from our perspective. Lord, come quickly from our perspective. I mean, that is the ultimate cry of our hearts, right? I mean, we know things are off, we know things are wrong, we know this world is messed up, and so we pray, Lord, come and, and just make everything right. In fact, we could say the Bible concludes on just such a prayer, other than, you know, the final conclusion that John gives, but in Revelation 22:20, 20, Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. From God's perspective, okay. But then John gives this little prayer. John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And I think it's good and right for us to pray that too. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly from our perspective, please. This is the final day, Christ is returning. I pray, Christian, that it is a source of hope and joy for you because we've all gone through stuff. We've all lost loved ones. We've all suffered in some way, shape, or form. And things might be bad for you right now, but we have the hope that, you know what, it's not always going to be this way. Jesus is coming and he's gonna make everything new. You're not going to suffer forever, whatever you're going through. He's gonna wipe away every tear. He is gonna bring peace to your heart. But as much as this is a source of joy, I, I, I pray that it's also a challenge about the way we approach life. We don't live for the world. We don't live for the flesh. We live in holiness and godliness, just being ready that, yeah, Christ is gonna come anytime. And so maybe if you need some encouragement, I invite you to come to the altar and ask God to encourage you through these words, encourage you through the truth of Christ's imminent return, that he is gonna be coming soon. I'm suffering through all of this, but you know what, Christ is coming, everything is gonna be made right. All, I mean, my body's gonna be made new, tears are wiped away, there's not gonna be any, any evil, there's not gonna be any sin. I'm not gonna have to try and wrestle with my sin that I wrestle with anymore. Yeah, if you need some encouragement, come to the altar. Maybe you just wanna come to the altar and you just wanna pray, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, just come. But maybe there are some here who've never trusted in Christ. God has postponed Christ's return because he's waiting on you to repent. But God is not gonna hold his son back forever. 
there's going to come a time when the father says to the son, son, go get your people. Go get your bride. And enter into the joy of eternity. Are you ready for that day? If not, if you're not ready for that day, if you, if you do not have the promise of heaven, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved during the invitation. I'll be down here. I, I, will, I will introduce you to the Savior, the living hope, the one that we sing about. I mean, he is our, our living hope. Because so many people say, well, you know, I'll make a decision for Christ later. The problem is later never comes. Today is the day of salvation. Give your life to him today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Walter Anna Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.